there, and welcome to Studio 6201. I'm Chris. And I'm Daryl. Hey, you really are Daryl. I've heard about you. Yeah. Summer's Famous over, buddy. Guy. I know, I, I know. It's dragging my butt in here tonight. Oh, man, isn't it? It falls in the air, but there's still so much to do, right? Yeah, I love the fall. Yeah, I got so much to do around my house, but the fall, I love the fall so much. There was three weeks of summer where I couldn't even go outside. It was just too hot at our house. Yeah, it was ridiculous, crazy yeah. sometimes. But, you know, there's where we are. A lot of things to talk about. It's good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you, too. Uh, glad to uh, be here chatting to all the folks again and uh, doing our thing. We've obviously been off for a little bit, uh, so we got lots of stuff in our heads. Yeah. <laughs> Is that how it works? I don't know if it really works I don't know that, it way. Works that way. I've been trying to forget most of my stuff this summer. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know what? If anyone follows uh, Daryl on social media, uh, you know two things. Number one, you've uh, brushed a lot of trees. Oh my! And your house always smells delicious. So the tree thing is killing me. Okay. I I probably spent three days every week all summer cutting wood. Like hard bush hogging. You, well, this stuff has already all been cut down and it's dry, but it's yards and yards and yards of swinging my axe. Oh. And I would sit out there for six hours a day, one day, and then take a day off, and then one day, and then take a day off. And I have cut so much wood. I and I love swinging an axe, but I'm exhausted all the time. Well, we're talking about through the summer months, especially August, we've had some uh, heaty days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so well, out there swinging. There was three weeks where I couldn't go outside. It was yeah. so hot. In, Ju- in July and August at our house, I don't know why it gets so hot in our backyard, but it gets really terribly hot yeah. in our backyard. And yeah. you'd go outside, and you'd walk 10 feet from our house, and it didn't matter who you were. You'd walk for 10 and go, nope, going back in. <laughs> you wouldn't. Nothing got done. No lawn was cut. Really? No nothing. And you, you had a summer where the rainstorm seemed to pass directly south of you. Chris? I remember you saying this a few times. Chris, it was the most insane thing. I remember sitting in my backyard and cutting wood, and there was a storm to the west of us. Two doors down, they got so much rain, it was incredible. Uh, two doors down is 200 feet away. Nothing to you. I got two sprinkles. Literally, I hit me twice. I'm like, oh, it's going to rain. It never rained. That was at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. My wife came out, and she looked up, and she goes, oh, we're going to get a bad storm. Nothing. 5 o'clock at night, she's got to go to the pool store. She drives away from our house. It looks like it's going to rain again. I can hear the thunder and lightning to the east of us, and the neighbor got rain, and we didn't. It literally went within 100 feet of both sides of our house. We didn't get rain for 29 days. Not a single drop. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah, there must be nothing worse than uh, sitting there uh, doing a sweaty job and watching the cooling rain going south of your position. It was actually insane. We ended up having to bring in water for our pool. Really? Um, Because we couldn't, there was so little rain, we couldn't fill it. We have rain barrels around our house. We collect all the rain water off our roof, and then we clean it, and we put it in the pool when it runs low. Right. Well, this summer, we went through, we had so little rain that we used all the rain in our rain barrels, and then we just let it go down, go down, down. And we were, we, there was only about half a centimeter above the line of the filter right. of the strainer. And we we're like, we have to buy water. Water crazy, right? So we called the water company up. Yeah. And they go, <laughs> no, they, yeah, they did. They laughed. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we're going to charge you this much. Yeah. We're like, that's double from last year. And they're like, yes, it is because we're so busy. You either pay us or we just can't come out, which I understand. I get where they're coming from sure. there. And there's a whole bunch of things Durham Region did with water this year that changed the way they did yep, things. So that's charge more. Yep. So they come out. The guy's standing there, unrolls his hose, right. puts it in the pool, okay. fills it up, yeah, and it starts pouring rain out. <laughs> no way. <laughs> three, three damn days of rain <laughs> i mean it got so it you had to drain so water in the pool. we had filled the pool up to above where the strainer was because we knew in a couple of days it would strain out right right like would it be hot enough and it would just drain out yep. it rained so much that we had to drain water out of the pool because it was going to overflow 
and it's in the ground pool, and that's the worst thing to happen. It was like, this has got to stop. Like, has Mother to Nature stop. has a wicked sense oh, of humor. Yeah, let me and tell that's you. I even wrote on Twitter. I'm like, I'm sorry, this is my fault. <laughs> <laughs> we filled our pool. That's funny. Yeah. Well, I found like things grew weird this year too. Like normally, I get overrun with tomatoes. Not this year, man. Really? Well, it's really it's tough, too hot out, right? Yeah, tough year for tomatoes. Yeah. So fruits, green peppers too. I usually get a couple of good solid green pepper plants. I've only got a few small ones. Oh, you should have got great green peppers. Mm. So peppers and uh, hot peppers and stuff like that, mm. they really thrive on heat. They're those those plants are actually originally from Latin America area. They're not. They're nowhere else in the world, but right. like uh, southwestern United States down to Peru type of thing. They're a North American plant. Right. And they thrive in the heat. Mm. And I mean thrive in the heat. The hotter it is, the better the pepper. Really, eh? Yeah. And so you didn't get good peppers. I it's got to be something peppers. else. Same as corn. Like, corn was really brilliant this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, it could have been, if we had a little bit more rain, it could have been better. But corn was brilliant this year. And apples are going to be good. All those things. Apples. That, so I was reading about how uh, the citrus and wine crop this year is going to be next level because of the summer we've had. And, like, there are, like, people that know in the industry are quietly, like, prices are going to be crazy because it's going to be golden this Wine year. this year? Wine this year is going to be off the hook. Right. I don't, we don't have citrus in Canada, so I can't really comment on that. I'm sure it kind of works the same way. But what you're doing is concentrating the sugars. Like, I don't know if you bought any fresh Ontario peaches this year. Yes, I have. And Honestly, they were. I've never had. I canned so many peaches this summer because yes, they were so it. good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I tasted it. Woo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I canned all summer, and I mean, I canned so much peaches. The peaches this year were just, I've never had that good of a peach in my life. Mm. It's just because of the heat. Yeah. Concentrates all those sugars in there. There's not a lot of liquid. Yeah, exactly. And you can get peaches some years where it's like, oh, my God, that's really yeah. juicy, but there's no flavor. Right. They're saying uh, down in Niagara, the stuff coming in Niagara is just next level. It's like, wow, this year. Everything was. Right, which is good. I mean, I mean, you got to have you. This is the ups and downs of farming. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, I found out this year, walnuts don't grow every year. Oh, yeah? We have a ton of black walnut trees. I had no idea walnuts were a cyclical uh, nut. You yeah. know? Well, we had somebody contact us and say, because we had uh, we had an explosive crop last year of black walnuts. They were everywhere. We They're a nightmare. You made syrup out of them. Is that not this one year? of those? Yeah. Well, so I made, I made syrup from the tree. I tapped the tree and made some syrup out of yeah. that black walnut syrup. But one of our friends makes this stuff called nocino, okay. which is an Italian uh, black walnut liqueur. Okay. So you take the walnuts when they're green, like in you take them usually June, end of June, beginning of July. They're right. very green. You can cut through them and everything. And you put them in a bottle of whiskey, or not a bottle of whiskey, a bottle of uh, spirits, vodka okay. or something. And you let them sit in there for five or six months. And it pulls all the tannins and all the flavors out of it. And then you mix it with a little bit of uh, uh, sugar and yeah. maybe some maple syrup if you want to. Okay. And it creates this liqueur. And I was going to make it a couple of years ago when I forgot about it. And so a lady, a friend of my wife's contacted her and said, can I get some black walnuts off you? Beth and I are like, sure, we'll have tons of them. Walked out in her yard. None. Couldn't find any. No way. Out of tree. There's like five of them on the, all the trees we have. We have eight, eight, nine trees on our property. So we walk out into the farmer's field behind us and start going up and down the field. Right. I think we found maybe 40 black walnuts. So you don't have super aggressive squirrels? That went, wow. Yeah, well, no, no, no. <laughs> They're aggressive this year. They're fighting each other and everything for the nuts because <laughs> there's not any. There's no nuts. There's no nuts. Yeah. And uh, so we made a couple things of this nocino, but th- we, we ended up looking into it because, like, why don't we have any black walnuts this year? What's going on? It's a cyclical thing, and we had a bumper crop last year. If you had come to my house last year and you had walked under my walnut trees, you would have been hit by falling walnuts. There were so many there of them. There were so many, but this the year. The ground was green, like, piled deep, too deep, 
under the trees. This year I have seen eight on the ground. Really? Yeah. That's crazy, eh? So it's been, it's been, it was an interesting, like, there's just weird things we, I found out about all summer. So we have this Nochino that I'll, when we get it done, it takes about a year to make. So a year. A year. Wow. It's been in our closet for 90 days. It's about time for us to strain it and blend it with the sugars. Oh, that sounds so good. Oh my. That sounds. I thought it was going to be good. And then right. she brought us a small bottle for giving her some black walnuts. Yeah. And Beth and I had a drink by the fire one night and it was like. Better oh, than I imagined. We totally <laughs> did the right thing with this. <laughs> it was so good. And we, we got, we got the, we used a, a natural spirit that's made by Durham Distillery. Okay. So it's a local Durham company and nice. it was, it's fantastic. And we mixed it with that. So shout out to Durham Distillery there for creating great. Very nice. You, you know what else didn't grow this year? Uh, for, no, I, didn't have, I usually have big banks of lilies. They didn't grow this year. Weirdest thing. I have some here at the top of the yard and some at the bottom of the yard. Neither one of we them had, went. We had and I'm talking like we've been here in this place for 15 years, and it's every year. We had lilies this year, but the lilies that grew, they didn't grow like they do every year. So we have one area that's it's the same no matter what, hot, cold. It's just a, it's a really kind of oh. damp, dark corner that gets some sun, and the lilies always grow. But last year, we had them up and down our driveway. They were uncontrollable last year, and they were everywhere. But you're right, and now that you mention it, like our neighbor last year probably had 500 out front of his house. There are tiger lilies growing all over the place, and we didn't have any. Yeah. None. Right. Weirdest thing. Yeah, that is weird. The weirdest thing. But, you know, weird summer. So It was. I've, I've actually, my philosophy is, so all the fall forecasts that come out, there's about five of them now. So they're all so different. I've just decided I'm going to wait for them all. I'm going to pick the one I like best. And that's the one I'm going to go with. Because the <laughs> Weather Network, so the one that came out today. It was so wrong. Everything was wrong. It Every was, single one. It was just, it was ridiculous. And now they're all over the board. But the Weather Network came out with one that says it's going to be a really uh, warm and hot summer into the beginning of November. So I'm going with that one. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I don't think it's going to be true. But I, I told go my wife one. the other day, I said, I think I know what's going to happen. And she's like, what? I'm like, it's going to be 95 degrees out every day. Yeah. And we're going to go to bed one night with the windows open. And we're going to wake up the next morning. It's going to be three and a half feet of snow on the ground. That's exactly how I mean, it's Nobody's going to be ready for it. And <laughs> and we're all going to go, oh, what happened here? What yeah. happened here? Why did this happen? It, it, the weather was insane this summer. It really was. But you know what? I think we're almost at the point, though, where, I mean, you, you have to expect the unexpected. I mean, if, if I, I, waging, waving into weather science and all that stuff, um, you have to know by now there's just unpredictability in all this. Like, farmers, salt of the earth folks, but imagine the headache of trying to figure out, because farmers are years ahead in their crop rotations. Yeah, and, and like, the problem is, is we've always had, weather's just unpredictable, you can predict it to some degree, but it's still very unpredictable as by seeing what's this summer. The harder, the harder part is the extremes, the really serious extremes we're having. Um, you know, in China this year, they had such bad droughts that the Yangtze River, the biggest river they have, is dried up. Which is a mind-blowing thing. They don't even know if they're going to have enough dam. I think it's this week or last week. It's very shortly. If they don't get any rain... You know what the Three Gorges Dam is? Yes. Biggest power generating station yep. in the world. Yep. They don't know if they have enough water to run it anymore. Think about that for a that minute. That dam was so big and it had so much water behind it, it actually slowed the rotation of the earth. That that single structure slowed the rotation of the earth and now there's not enough water to fill it anymore. Imagine that. For but it's not just there. It's India. It's France. Like it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yep. And we're, we, we're very lucky. Beth and I were talking about this the other day. We li- we're so fortunate to live in the area. And we, you and I have talked about this and the way weather goes around the Toronto and Oshawa and stuff like that from the ridges. We're so lucky we live in this area. We don't really have bad weather here. 
we're in a nice little pocket. Yeah, we get some snow. We might get a rainstorm, but we don't get the rainstorms that Quebec does. Nope. We don't get the the tornadoes that they do east and west of us. Yeah, and they don't get that many. And really, they don't get that many compared to the no, south. But we're lucky because like like Owen Sound in that area takes all of our brunts. Yeah, and we just get the the bubble overs. We're so lucky. Oh, and by if you don't live in this area, the weather's horrible. Don't yeah. move, don't move here. Yeah. When it gets really bad, it's worse here. It's yeah, it's very unpredictable. Very unpredictable. It's but you know again, it's it's the new reality, right? It's like you almost have to now, if you're thinking even like two weeks down the road, like you always looked at the weather, yeah, right? you always did. But it's it's just, it's a different thing now. Well, even for us at home this summer, we had to look at it. Even when the weather network was saying eighty percent chance of rain, we would take days off from going outside. Like we just wouldn't go outside. And we'd look up at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the afternoon and be like, it didn't rain here today. Mm-hmm. And that happened consistently. I'd phone my mom and she'd be like, oh, yeah, it rained like hell down here. She lives crazy. in Oshawa. And she'd be like, it rained all day. I'm like, we didn't have a drop. So we just gave up on the weather network and we just went outside until it started raining. Because <laughs> we just didn't know. Like, it was, there were so many days we took off from working out in the yard. You're in old school. Yeah, we just, yeah, if it rains, we'll go inside. I see yeah. weather forecast. If I get wet, it's raining or somebody's yeah. spraying me with water. Either yeah. way, I'm going inside. Well, I have this thing uh, where I work. I'm in an airport, yeah. so I'm facing a tarmac, right? So whenever all the seagulls mysteriously appear from wherever they appear from, like they will come by the dozens. Yeah. And they'll sit in the tarmac, and within a half an hour, there's a thunderstorm. Really? Yeah, it's the craziest thing in the world. So that's my I predictor. I I, yeah, really, because there's no shelter on the tarmac. They, no, they, they stand out there in the wide open, and they all get in there. And they just sit there and just go no, through and, it. And you have, a, you have a valley covering three sides of that yep. airport. Yep. Why aren't they in the woods? Craziest thing. That's, I'll be sitting there in my studio and look at it, and I'll see them all flying, and I'll go, oh, thunderstorm's coming. Really? Every time. You know, but maybe maybe this is the thing we should be using, right? Like they always say, look how fat the squirrels are, and they'll tell you how cold the oh, winter's yeah. going to be. Yeah. You know. Well, our squirrels at our house are fat. Are they? <laughs> All those damn missing walnuts. <laughs> no, we we start up a compost bin this summer, so they're eating our food oh, that we're putting wow. out. Uh, we make a lot of food at home, so. Wow. Yeah. Well, my son is taking to giving them whole peanuts this year, because we so we have a situation. We live on a ravine, right? right. You know, we're here, and. We, I have like 200 foot tree. Like it's a huge, it's old growth trees. I, I love it here. So when we came here, they were filled with squirrels, filled with them. And a couple of years back, this disease went through Belleville and the hawk population went up <laughs> and they took a huge hit. So whereas I used to have like nine or 10 squirrels nests in these trees over the winter time, now there's like three or four, right? So the, the, what they draw from these things are hat right now because there's oh, not as many squirrels. squirrels yeah so they're like you know they're taking whole peanuts from my son they're getting all the other stuff you know so they're we, ready for it but we had we had a lot of falcons and hawks out at our house last year and this year we have almost none really yeah and we know why and our bats are disappeared too our bats aren't in our house we had a fox living on our property uh, and we found it dead on the road which is sad yeah that fox killed all the bunnies on our property and we had a lot of them like, you'd walk out in the morning and have a coffee, and there'd be, like, four bunnies on the front lawn, 50 squirrels. Well, there's none. Yep. And even the squirrel and the chipmunk population has gone down, which is animals will be animals. It's kind of good for them. And next year, they'll bounce back. That fox is gone, and these things will bounce back, and they'll have a good bumper crop of squirrels and chipmunks and yep. rabbits again. Um, even the turtles, like, we had a turtle uh, come in, a big, huge snapping turtle plant eggs on our yard. Oh, wow. And I contacted Durham College, and I said, well, how should I protect the eggs? And they were coming back and telling me, and they were, I was getting great answers. And then somebody said, animals will be animals, let them eat. I'm like, yep, 
You're right. It's, and it's, I just left yeah. them there. It's why I can't. I, I would love to go on an African safari, but I can't. Nah. Because I'd be like, he's behind you. <laughs> I'd ruin the natural. <laughs> throwing things to stop the predation. <laughs> I just I, I just can't handle it. You know, I know it makes me weak, <laughs> but I just can't handle it. You know, it's, it's my thing. Yeah, but. we have lots of big squirrels. We cooked so much great food this summer, too. Like, Ontario is so good for food. We 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 went insane with uh, cooking, um, putting stuff down again this year. I haven't canned for a long time. I lost the love for it because of Buster Rhinos, and uh, since I've since I've sold Buster Rhinos, so shut it down. We've been uh, I've been canning like mad. I probably took five or six hundred cans of goods down: pickles, dill pickles, um, bread and butter pickles. Uh, we've done beets. I've done uh, a gingered rhubarb jam. Which is stunning. Oh, say that again. Ginger Gingered rhubarb jam. Oh, it was so, dude. It's so good, Chris. And I did peach uh, peach jam, which is very oh, good. I did, you did a lot jars. of peach stuff. Yeah, I did eight jars of it, and four of them are gone already. My kids are <laughs> plowing through it like it's breakfast cereal. Um, and I did peach salsa, yeah. and I did a habit. So I did a, just a regular jalapeno peach salsa, and I did a um, habanero peach salsa without jalapenos in it because my daughter doesn't like jalapenos. Right. I did a, uh, I did 12 jars of corn relish and then I did 12 jars of roasted corn relish, um, which is the, like we roasted the corn and stuff and it's, it's just fantastic. And then I did, uh, I think 16 oh. jars of uh, salsa for my wife. Really? Yeah, I just uh, all summer. So I was just canning, 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 canning. Every time we'd go well, to the market, and I'd be like, let's buy this, let's buy this, let's buy this. You yeah. put up three pitchers a day and I'd be like, oh, dude, oh. you're killing me, man. You're killing me. <laughs> What are you doing? Our house smells. I made chai tea today. I mean, but I shouldn't say chai tea because that's like kind of stupid. Uh, I did a masala chai today, which is, uh, it's a spice. It's a, basically a spice tea. Yeah. Um, have you ever had it? I have. Yeah. I my made, daughter loves it. I made it from scratch today. Really? Oh, my God. My house smelled like, roasting off the spices and then mixing it. And my daughter walks in the very first words out of her mouth are like, you made chai. Yes, oh. I did. <laughs> you can smell it through the entire house. So I'm going to start making that because we like that. We, My wife and I are just trying to figure out ways of saving money because food's becoming so expensive. So, you know, we talked about this control. before we, we ended last year, the first season, and it's getting, it really is getting out of control. So now we're looking at every possible way to save money, and a lot of that is learning. And, and I've even seen online more and more people are going, how do I can? I need to learn how to can. I really have to learn how to can. Well, this is a consequence of us not having a good tomato crop this year because we always make salsa. I always make my homemade barbecue sauce, my homemade ketchup, and then let's get it through the year. I have to go buy bushes of tomatoes now. Yeah, and that's and not cheap. Th and, and even now, so, right? Yeah. So this is the consequence of craziness like this. Yeah. And like, I know we, we were going to buy... We actually bought a quarter, a half bushel, and it cost us 30 bucks for Jeepers. Roma tomatoes. Jeepers. Yeah. I'm used to being so deep into toasted tomato sandwiches by now, I got the cankers growing. My. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just, like, I'm so deep. I'm like, give me another one. Let's go. So I can't eat tomatoes anymore. <laughs> and I, I don't, I told, oh, we talked about this, right? another thing you can't eat? Well, I told you about this, didn't yeah, I? I think you did, yeah. Yeah, where it causes me such bad heartburn oh, that I'll eventually dude. end up having a GERD when I get older, so I stopped eating them, and all my, all my, my stomach problems went away completely. But my wife teases me all the time. She's like, I'm going to have a toasted tomato sandwich. And it's one of my favorite oh, things to eat. It's just magnificent. Like ketchup is my, ketchup will be my downfall because yeah. I love ketchup. Oh, and yeah. my wife will have ketchup on something and yeah. I'll be like, maybe I'll just eat it. And she'll be yeah. like, yeah, but you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and you're going to have really bad heartburn. And I'm like, oh, I know. And <laughs> I can take a pill for it to stop it, but oh. 
the damage gets done and the damage doesn't reverse itself. And I'm just, I know people that are in their seventies yeah. and they have such a hard time breathing yeah. some days because it yeah. hurts so bad. I'm like, I don't want to be that. Yeah. I'll do without I, tomatoes. It I, kills I me. A, I make a homemade ketchup that you can't have because there's like garlic and stuff in it, which makes you hard. But I mean, you know, and then what I do is I just change it a bit to make it the ketchup. So I made a, uh, because I can't have ketchup, I like having things to dip things into. Yeah. I made a homemade plum sauce, spicy plum sauce this year. From plums? No. From Oh, this is the peaches thing you did. No, this is plums. I made this from plums. plums. Yeah. Oh, I made a peach chutney too. Yeah, God, yeah. that was oh, good. Oh my God, that looks so good. It <laughs> was so good. I'm, I'm physically reacting to the memory of the chutney. <laughs> I'm just waiting for jalapeno peppers. Uh, there's a guy online that's Ryan Lindley who uh, just got yeah. a, whole, a whole bunch of uh, jalapenos, red jalapenos, and he's doing Chipotle's. And I'm like, I got to get, well, got to go to Linton's and get some red jalapenos so I can put down some Chipotle's. And, oh. oh, I also did pickled jalapenos. Oh, you, did some, you did some fantastic things. Yeah. Made me jealous all summer long. That was a good, oh, peach pie. I made a peach pie this year. Yeah. I've never made, I'm not very good. I was never very good at making pastries like peach pie and stuff like that. Yeah. And I said to my wife, I said, I'm going to learn how to make peach pie. Yeah. I'm going to do this. This is going to work. And I made a peach pie. Yeah. And it was the, it was the best pie I've ever had in my life. Like, the crust was absolutely perfect. And you couldn't have asked for a better crust. Are if you I able had... to self-criticize yourself, though? It's like giving yourself a nickname. Can you evaluate whether it was the best pie ever? Or yeah. Just... Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm very good at that. Because we... some people can't, right? No, no. Our, our family is very critical. Okay. All <laughs> it's right. It's very critical. Very good. And even, I'm like, how do you guys like it? Because I'm not sure yet. Like, how do you like it? And my wife's like, the crust on the bottom is is crunchy like it's cooked it's 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 got layers incredible so that little caramelization <sighs> it was such a good pie oh, and i've made good. pies before i've made apple pie i've made everything i've never been able to get the dough right and i screwed the dough up every way to sunday when i was doing it this time and i, I even told the kids in bath i'm like there's, there's no way this is going to work out it's just yeah. not going to work out i'm sorry if it doesn't yeah. and they're like yeah remember the last pie you made don't worry <laughs> everybody's scarred yeah and <laughs> We're still have therapy for that. Yeah, half with you, yeah. Going, oh yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Oh great, Don't dad's dad's it. gonna make another pie, and I made it, and it just it was the type of thing where it came out. And it was like, oh, it was so good. It was really good. I would love to uh, learn how to bake. Like I, I like to cook, but I can't bake because baking and it's it's a weakness. I guess I could just try harder, but baking is so exact. No, cooking. actually, baking's not. Oh, really? Because I find if I don't follow things in baking, I mess them up. Cooking to me is like a, I make it up as I go. I know what my <laughs> end destination is, but or it might change, but it's a journey, right? Baking is, you better make sure this and this and this work or this ain't happening. Once you understand the theory behind cooking. Right. And everything, every single thing has a different theory behind it. Sure. So you can't, you can't take baking and bring it to meat. You can't bring meat and bring it to baking. But once you understand what baking is, unless you're doing like a really exact French pastry, right. I, I can I can make pies, I can make um, like any kind of loaf you want. I don't. It's just a basic. It's a very you can do it in your in memory, right? Um, and not even get it right. Like if my daughter makes focaccia. I don't even think she measures anything anymore. Daughter makes focaccia. Oh God, she makes such good focaccia, like oh. the best focaccia I've ever had. Um, and that's not a lie. That she makes the best focaccia I've ever had. It's incredible. But she doesn't even weigh anything anymore. She just kind of, it takes about this much, this much, and she mixes it up. And she goes, ah, I could use a little bit more flour. It comes out every time beautifully. But once you learn and understand what you have to do for baking, it's very easy. I can I could write you a bread recipe out right now. and You've told me this before. Yeah. Said, I, it would take no time. It takes no time at all. And I, we don't, I don't even look up recipes for bread anymore. My wife doesn't look up recipes for bread anymore because unless I'm making something unique, which we did a couple times this summer, we learned how to make French loaves. Right. 
and that's unique and that's a it's a long process and we made english muffins this summer and we made and that's a long process that takes 48 hours to make and i made we made all made bagels this summer so we i remember that picture too <laughs> you, you know why i went to costco and i'm like seven dollars for 12 bagels seven dollars seven dollars for 12 bagels how much do you think it costs you to make 12 bagels on your own 73 cents boom 73 cents that's real money it right took, there it, yes it is and when you eat bread like my family does like we're gluttons for gluten yeah. we're gluttons, gluttons for, for gluten. could be your bowling team yeah put that on a shirt gluttons exactly. for gluten but we eat uh, we make it and the kids eat it we eat we eat bread all the time beth may has made three loaves of sourdough this week i made two loaves of this five grain bread that i came up with that i make it's almost gone we we eat a lot of bread and it's great once you learn how to make it and you start realizing, oh, it's only 40 cents for a loaf. Huh. And it's, it's really only it, between the mixing, once you get all the ingredients out and you mix it, you're looking at about 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then it's a hurry up and wait for anywhere from one hour to 24 hours, depending on what you're doing. It's, it's literally just do whatever you can, walk away for two hours, come back and do this. Yeah. Wait for another hour, put it in the oven, wait for 40 minutes, you're done. Oh, there it is. All told... It might be maybe 17 minutes of actual labor. Right. Spread it over a day. Yeah. I don't care. For the amount of money it saves us. Yeah. Well, three years ago, you tell me 40 cents a loaf. I go, hey, you know, that's great. Okay. Yeah, but I can buy one for $1.50 at Walmart. You tell me 40. I'm like, oh, tell me more. (laughs) Because (laughs) you're, you know, my, I have a family of four here with a young man and a young woman who love their bread oh and my, all the my things. My kids, same thing. You know, it, the, the days of dropping to the store to pick up a loaf of bread and some something for lunch or something, it was, it, it's not even over under 20 bucks anymore. So this is why I also started canning again, because we had all the canning jars from years ago, because right. I used to can all the time before I owned Buster Rhinos. I mean, I canned, back then I canned all the time too. I really did enjoy it, and I still enjoy it. But we start looking at it, and you're looking at 4 or $5 for a jar of jam. Well, you can make a jar of jam for about a dollar twenty-five. Right. The jar costs a dollar twenty-five, but you can use the jar again over and over. Like some of our jars, we've had sure. for twenty years. Sure. Right. So suddenly it becomes cheaper. So we bought pickles. We bought a half bushel of pickles this year. Um, at a half bushel of pickles, it's thirty bucks. We already have all the jars and stuff. We spend eight dollars on the other ingredients we need, so it's thirty-eight thirty-eight dollars. But we got thirty-six jars, so now it's a dollar per jar. Suddenly it's. Suddenly, you're saving real money over saving a winter. Real money. You're really saving money. Even yeah. even with chickpeas, we eat peas all the time. Beans, beans mm-hmm. like uh, legumes, all the time at home. Right. And we've stopped buying canned stuff because it's so much cheaper, and it's it takes seconds to make the other the the dried ones. Yeah. So like we what I do is I buy a bag of chickpeas, mm-hmm. I weigh them all out perfectly. I put the ingredients that need to be in the chickpeas, yeah. close up the tops, put them downstairs, and there's ing- there's instructions on it. Take this jar, pour it in the slow cooker, put four cups or five cups of water in it, yep. turn it on low, Boom. come back seven hours later, it'll be done. Yep. We have six six cans of chickpeas yep. that are in there. Yeah. And I mean, that used to be a, a, a niche segment of society that did stuff regular. Now it's it's moved up into yes. so many other things. Uh, and there's a lot of factors behind that. One of the ones is I, I wanted to bring, so I'm out, it was a couple of weeks ago now, uh, it wasn't a restaurant. It was sort of a snack bar thing. I go to pay my bill, and they offer uh, tip amounts, right. right? Normally, this machine 
one of the selections was a 30% tip. Yeah. And I, I didn't say anything because it's not the person's fault at the counter, that, that, like that I, the rage I suddenly felt at that. But I'm just like, when did we slip into this 30%? And at what point it is, is that, like, I don't even know what I'd pay 30% for. Now, if I had a great meal or something, I would certainly entertain that notion. Yeah. Like, But this sort of, like, this is an option now. This is what they call this tipflation stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I know you've been dealing with the business side of this for a lot of years, but I got to tell you, it really pissed me off. Well, it's a reaction from me. Yeah, and, and it's a visceral reaction for most people. Yes. And the unfortunate thing is, I don't even, if I remember correctly, when we had Buster Rhinos, we weren't actually given a choice of what we had on there for tips. It was the comp- the card companies that actually put how much the tip could be. So it was either a 7, a 10, or a 15, something right. like that when we were doing it. But they're not making that determination on their own. Yeah. There's, there's, there's got to be some sort of lobbying group. Like, they're not. Who like, knows why? Where who, do 30% from? I don't know. Well, it's because I know in the States they're really pushing for 30% because they don't pay their waitresses enough. Well, okay. Well, that's a whole other issue. And, and that's, that's a whole a, other issue, but it, it rolls back that's to this area, this too. It really does roll back to this area as well. So I don't know exactly who makes the choice of how much the tipping should be. I'm very much the type of person that I haven't gone out for a couple of years for lunch or supper or anything. Cause we just I cook everything at home. But when we do, my wife and I are very, very free with the tip money. Sure. If you've and done I a good job too. and you, we've had a great meal. Even if you haven't done a good job, I'm tipping you. Well, I know it's a terrible thing to say out yeah, loud, but we, I understand what that waitress is doing as a living or waiter. We don't always tip if it's a bad job. It depends how bad it is. Like if the food's bad and the waitress is bad or the waiter is bad, we don't tip. Like if it's both bad, but if it's just the food's great and the waitress was bad, then we tip because the food, the kitchen needs to get some if they get it at all. Yeah, and if the, if the waitress is really good and the food sucks, we still tip. If they're both bad, then we don't because that means right. they're just not doing their job. Exactly. But when we go out, there's been many times where my wife and I have gone out for dinner and and even just like a coffee and a, a dessert. We used to go up to Buy Mark in Toronto all the time and we go for and pay 100% in tip. Oh no, and I've we'd done sit that there, we'd sit there for an hour and, and t- chew up a table, and we'd be like, okay, let's let's. It was a good meal. It was forty bucks for the coffee or a drink and a dessert. Let's give them a forty dollar tip. But you see, to me, that's that should be the or other amount. Mm-hmm. Like to 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 have that hubris to put thirty percent on there drives me crazy. Now there is a, b- a bigger discussion here that confuses this a little bit because I was also reading this article, um, and it's interesting who we choose to tip. Like, we'll, we'll tip our hairstylist, yeah. but we won't tip our mechanic. Now, the thinking on that is the mechanic bill is usually bigger. Yeah. So it's a different tipping thing. But th- th- this is how this 30% thing is creeping in because there's such confusion yep. over what to do here because both of those services are necessary, but in terms of a monetary tip... Yeah, and, like, and tipping I don't know has, where this conversation went Tipping has gone. changed a lot. Yes. Because when I was a kid, you tip your, for your food. You'd tip for a taxi sometimes. Yep. You'd always tip your barber because your bar your haircut was four dollars, and you'd give a tip a dollar or two. Um, but there wasn't many other tips. And now there's some corner stores and stuff you go into, and they'll have tip amounts on their on their debit machines. Tip nudges, they call them. Yeah, and it's like, wait a minute, you're you're a convenience store. Exactly. If you're not charging enough money, why should I have to make up for it like that? And by the way, you are charging enough money to the <sighs> store because uh-huh. I saw you at Costco buying it. So I yeah, know. I know exactly how much you charge. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is this is I have a I have a real issue with tips. It, there's a lot of different meanings for tips, and there's a lot you hear a lot of people. But I was always told, and the way it was always explained to me was to ensure perfect service. Tips. Yeah. And it, that may not be the name, it. but it's a great way of putting great it. Great way of putting it. And somewhere along the line, we stopped. 
we realized that people weren't making enough money, so we tipped even when we got bad service. So people that shouldn't be in the service industry are making a lot of money being bad servers and waiters and cooks. This is true. And, and that's unfortunate because that's not what it's for. It's supposed to be as a reward for doing a, an exceptional job. That's what it's supposed to be for. And now the reward is we're only going to give you 15% if you do the bare minimum. Well, see, I also think that something really insidious has happened here in that when COVID took out all the restaurants and yeah. everything, people were like, okay, we got to tip these people heavy when we're back. Yeah, we're back. We're doing it. And it's artificially inflated what the expectation yeah. is here. And it allows this tip nudging thing to take place. Now, listen, both of us have worked in the industry where we you rely on. I've been a bartender. I've worked in kitchens. Yeah. You know, th- those tips can be the difference sometimes between rent and not rent. Yeah. You know? like, it, it, this is a, and they pay waiters and waitresses crap money because they say, well, they're making tips. It's a ridiculous argument, in my opinion, I, through these years. So... But, because we ha- we've come back this way, I think we're stuck in the mud on this right now. I, I think this is a. Re- I think <laughs> I say this all the time whenever I come. This is a very complex situation, <laughs> very complex conversation. <laughs> Let's break it down. Because in in reality, I I have very strong feelings about tips and the way they get handled and the way they get dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, in the vast majority of restaurants, uh, when the waitress or waiter, the serving staff in the front gets tips, they're supposed to split it with the people in the back. I've always felt that way. That is not the problem. And they rarely places. do. Yeah. They rarely do. And some of them, some of the better, the better serving staff absolutely do. But it's also why the food comes out perfect from them. Because they, they've, that's why. Because yeah. they know. When we had, when, when we had Buster Rhinos, there was two or three young ladies that worked for us that did such a good job and were so good with their, with their customers. And they would go back in the kitchen and they would step in for the cook and actually make their food quicker. They always got the best tips. Right. And they, they made phenomenal money. I mean, they made really, really good. My customers were never afraid to tip the girls good money. A, a customer will or the guys. tip an appreciation yeah. most times. But that's what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed exactly. to be a wage. But the, and So here's the other problem. We have, if you, I don't know how much you've, well, you don't go for dinner that much, I don't think. Not anymore. Um, not really. Restaurant costs have skyrocketed, but their menu prices haven't gone up that much. And this is a real problem because most restaurant owners are afraid are, are really very afraid to raise their rights. Well, they should be because, but they shouldn't be. The problem is, is they're not raising their rates and they're going out of business because of that. They're losing it, their income. They're losing their spot. houses. But you cannot foist that off on the consumer. You can't. You have to. No, you can't. Well, yes, you do have to. That's that's reality. <laughs> Otherwise, you don't stay in business. Well, and that's the point. Then I guess you can't be in business because the reality is. You cannot foist that off on the consumer. I know from a business point of view, I, that that's solid math. That's a solid theory. But the consumer, especially now, is is gotten much more savvy. Well, and and they're not. And this is the classic battle on this that I always have a problem with: business versus consumer, right? At, at any point in the game, the business is drawing from the will of the public, so they cannot compromise that public. Costs are just ridiculous right, right now. Like, and it's not even that. You know, like, excuse my language, but fucking insurance companies have raised insurance on restaurants and everything to the ridiculous landlords, point, right? But you've got to be careful passing it on to the customer. Well, you don't. The, the, Thank you for letting me rant there, please. The unfortunate thing is you have to pass it on to the customer, yes, otherwise you go to that business. That is true. That is true. And do you want your small business to go to business? The big businesses are going to survive. Yep. So you have a choice. You either pay more money for food, yep. and you pay more money for food, yep. or your small mom-and-pop restaurants disappear, which they are because people don't want to pay more money for food. 
the average restaurant owner in Canada, small restaurant owner, makes between four and six percent profit a year. Yep. That's all they made. Read that before. Yep. A really good wait staff can make up to twenty five percent on every meal, which means the restaurant owner is making five percent and the wait staff is making twenty five percent and they're getting their paycheck. So I always have this love-hate relationship relationship with with tips because I had young ladies that were just an honest, I'll, I'll always have their back forever. They were so good to me. They made more money in a year than I ever did, ever, by a long shot. Mm-hmm. And if I had anything break down, I had to pay for it. So you have an oven breakdown. It costs $176 just to have a pipe fitter come in to look at your gas. They are not even going to do anything. So all these expenses start adding up. In your Your rent has gone up. The cost of food has skyrocketed. And this happened uh, about in 2008, 2009, when we had the first real stock market crash this, this century. <laughs> um, and food prices went up then too. Like wheat went up and everything. And restaurants across the board didn't raise their prices. Um, and we did. And people were mad at us. But it was the, that's how we survived. And then when all the other restaurants were taking increases because they had to at this point, they were losing everything, we didn't have to because we had already... And we, we went on the process of raise it a little bit every month because the cost of living goes up every month. So raise it a little bit every month. And if you do that, nobody notices a 5% raise. Everybody notices a $4 raise, yeah. right? Yep. And the other problem comes in is if you don't do this, you just run out of money and you have families going bankrupt. They're selling their houses to just try and cover the cost of their, of their restaurant and keeping people employed. At one point, Beth and I took out a second loan just to pay for our employees so they got because we wanted to make sure they always had paychecks and we took out a second loan to make sure they could get paid because we were going through a tough time we knew we were going to come out at the other end but we had to pay interest and everything on that mm-hmm. i did the math on it chris how much do you think you have to raise at buster rhinos we weren't the busiest restaurant in oshawa but we did all right downtown how much do you think i had to increase the price of every single product on my menu to pay everybody 25 dollars an hour well i'm sure i'm going to be right off this number i'll just throw it out you raised 20 percent I had to raise every single item on my menu by 25 cents. Yeah. That was it. Oh. 25 cents. Every single item. Okay, so that you had a solid plan. A solid we, plan well, we know, well what that. I did was I did the math on how much, how much do I sell on a given month of every single product. How many pop do I sell? How many beer do I sell? How many whiskeys do I sell? How many ribs do I sell? How many fries do I sell? And I did, broke that down into how much it would cost me to raise to give everybody a 20, to a $25 raise. Right? right? Told my customers that. And they're like, you can't raise your prices. I'm like, the average meal is going to cost you an extra, for a family of four, $5. And for $5, I can ensure you're not going to have to tip, which will make sure my staff during the slowest, slowest, slowest times of the day, which were like between one and four, one and five, where they didn't make any money, they were still making $25 an hour. They were making good money. And that was everybody from the dishwasher to the cook, to the bartender, to the waitress. My customers did not want to pay 25 cents more. Because they're thinking they're coming in, they have twenty dollars for dinner, and if you raise it, then they can't go there for dinner. Right, but it would have been, it would still would have been twenty dollars for dinner. The only difference was the bill would have been twenty dollars, and they wouldn't have had to give tip, and they wouldn't have had to give tip. And that was the big thing. That that's a six. That's, an interesting that's a fifty-five thousand dollar a year job, and for a lot of people, fifty-five thousand dollars a year is five thousand dollars off the medium family income in yeah. Ontario. Exactly. For one person. Exactly. That's all restaurants would have to do it. But there's such a negative 
there's such a negative thought behind a restaurant having to raise their money and us as consumers are always ranting against it. What do you mean I have to spend this much money for a burger? Wait a minute. I have to send somebody out to buy it. I have to put it in my fridge. But uh, isn't that part of that, though? Like, the, the counter argument that is, well, then don't be a restaurant person. No, like, that's a, it's don't a bad... that business because it's, every business is it's a horrible. Have. It's a horrible argument. This is the argument everybody has when, they're, when you say, I have to raise prices. They're like, well, then you shouldn't be in business. Well, this is how... Nobody ever says that to Walmart. Or any car company or, or anything. Yeah. You, you never hear anybody go, oh, my prices. God, I can't believe Tim Hortons raised their prices yeah. again. They do for one day. Yeah. But they don't give a shit. The next day they're out there buying coffee, right? Why do we do this to small businesses? Why do we? Why do we hoist, foist, treat them so incredibly badly? But yet, any big corporation, we're like, well, okay, that's fine. You know, we understand. You got costs, and yet they're making billions of dollars, not a couple dollars, billions of dollars. I'll fight all day long for against corporate profits. Trust me, I'll hop on that horse anytime. I just think that in most people's minds, whether it's right or wrong, you if 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 you want to go to do this, you have to accept the ups and downs of this. So I don't think people relate to that argument so much because they're just thinking, here's a good place I can go. Now, if I'm sure you had customers that said, Okay, was worth it. Uh, oh, still yeah. keep coming back. Like you'll always have the winders, you'll always have the great people that understand the concept. But I think most people are so I mean, their own lives are overwhelmed. They don't go that deep on the conversation. So well, they just say, well, this restaurant is screwing me, so I guess I'll go there now. Right. And this, this is, that's exactly right? what happens. And we don't want to be involved. What yeah. we want is cheap food. Yes. This is what we want. Yeah. We want cheap food. And we want the restaurant owners to be successful, too, at and, the same time. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, not, I'm no better than anybody else. Yeah. There's a reason uh, we are able to save so much money at home is because I'm a great cook. My wife's a great cook. My kids are great. My mom well, and daughter is. My son can't cook anything. Water. Poor kid. He must feel terrible. Daughter's making focaccia bread. No, he's too busy playing Fortnite. Uh, <laughs> but it, well, actually, doesn't play. He plays a lot of games. But he's a good. He's a good kid. He's 13. He's going to learn eventually. Good Just he's it. he's being a 13 year old boy. Yeah. Um, he. Uh, we all know how to cook, and that's how we save our. That's how we can save yeah. a tremendous amount of money. Yeah. And for us, it's great. But for the average person, it's not. So they don't know where their costs come from. They exactly. don't They don't look at chicken and go, like, I'm the guy that goes to the grocery store and goes, okay, I can buy a, a box of chicken breasts, and I'm going to freeze them, and I'm going to save 33 cents a pound. Okay, I'm going to do that. Whereas most people are like, I don't want a whole box. Yeah. You're going to eat the whole box. Buy the whole damn box. Yeah. Buy the box. Save 33 cents a pound. You're going to save $7 a box. $7 on every meal you eat is a lot of money over a year. Yeah. Right, but people don't do that. I also know how to butcher things. People don't things. buy freezers anymore. People, no, they do not. We just put a second There's no room for freezers. We in just put a anymore. second fridge in our house because we have so much homemade stuff all the time that we have to have a second fridge in our house. Yep. We have a huge cellar downstairs. It's yep. just chock full of food. Yep. Even when I was growing up, even people that lived in town had a root cellar. Yeah, or they had a freezer. Such like, a lost thing. I mean, it was some. It was. It was. Put together, you know, but that was the thing you did. Yeah, but people don't know where it comes from anymore, so they don't oh, go to they, the grocery they can't store. They do it. They, they, yeah. they don't have the space for it. They're not yep. allowed to by bylaw. It's uh, yeah. weird stuff. And you, you go to the, you go to the, you go buy your groceries, and, and you don't even, you don't, like, people don't look at the cost of meat. They don't look at the cost of this. They don't look at the it cost of this. when you look at it. <laughs> well, it does hurt when you look at it, but then you go to a restaurant, and you go, I can't believe I'm paying $12 for a burger. Wait Good a minute. Point. If you had bought the, all that Good stuff point. and brought it home, we watched, I watched a show on, I watched a lot of YouTube on cooking because I'm a geek. Um, but we're watching this guy last night and he's like, I'm going to make a salad that cost me $13 from this guy, this place called Green, Green 
Green Queen or something in the States is a salad place. He's like, I bought two salads. It cost me $28. I'm going to see if I can replicate that at home and see how much it cost me. And he says, okay, okay, I replicated the salad at home. It cost me $32. So I went $4. There was 4 or $5 over budget. And he goes, but I got eight salads, and I have a whole bunch of stuff in my pantry now. But the vast majority of people don't know how to make a salad. Yeah. So they buy ready-mixed salad. They buy yep. cut salad that rots faster. They go, But you don't see that. Like you go to a restaurant, and a lot of restaurant owners are the same way. So you suddenly, suddenly you have restaurant owners don't want to raise money because they're like, I'm still making 2%. It's not enough. If you ever break down, you're dead. Yeah. Right? Especially and then you... Tight margin. Yeah. And everything's gone up so much. Like I was reading the other day. I saw a really... With the cost of inflation... The average person in Ontario took a four percent wage incre- yeah. decrease this year. Yeah, I read the same thing. Even, even if they got if they got a four percent, you know, if they got a four percent raise this year, which was higher than normal, they lost five percent. It's crazy. So you understand? I understand why it came to third, and I understand how they got thirty percent. I don't agree with it at all. And I, there's a reason we don't eat out anymore because we just we understand that a we're going to a restaurant that we're actually ripping off. Because they they're not charging enough for money for their food, sure. and B I don't I don't want to give a thirty percent tip. Yep. I, I, I want the restaurant twenty dollars on gas. I want the restaurant I want the restaurant to pay their employees correctly. I want the restaurant to pay them well, and I want them to charge appropriately for them. I'd have no problem with a restaurant going. I pay my employees a living wage, and for that it's a dollar more per burger. It's a dollar more per this. I don't like the idea, and this is this has really come out of the United States, especially with the the Congress and stuff, and you have Republican Democrats, and there's a lot of people down there like, you want them to make a $15 minimum wage, you're going to pay $74 for a burger. That's not true. That's not, not the true. way the math works. Exactly. That's a ridiculous it, argument. It is a ridiculous By argument. By the way, if you if they made 15 an hour, then they might be actually afford to buy your burgers. <laughs> well, and this, is, this is where the killer thing comes in. This is, the, this is the thing that kills me all the time. This is the one that always drives me insane. Okay. Why are we so afraid to give people that are down and out on their luck money? Like we Guaranteed just, uh, income. Yeah, we just don't want to give them money. Yeah. What do you think it's they're going to do with it? What do you th- They're going to go out and buy new clothes. They're going to buy better shoes. They're going to buy new plates. They're going to buy plates for their house. They're going to eat well. This is why I get cynical about business people and I take the positions I just think because you cannot tell me that as a business person who you're already in that mindset, you're not making that realization. Yeah. Like that's, the, that's the, the, the organization that's railing against it. Yeah, you know, like I don't, I don't understand this. That to me, you give me twenty bucks, and I may sit on five of it, but I'm spending fifteen. Well, it's the argument that you hear all the time in the states, just, and you hear this a lot in the states, and you're starting to hear more of it in Canada about how, if you give a rich person a thousand dollars and you give a poor person a thousand dollars, in two months the rich person will still have a thousand dollars in their bank. Ridiculous. Yeah, because they didn't effing need it. Exactly. They didn't need exactly. it. Exactly. The poor person paid their rent they yeah. were three months behind on. By the way, which means now that the landlord is up to date. Yeah. And oh, by the way, paid its utilities, so, you know, the guy that has to hunt him down to pay is off the hook now. Yeah. You know, like, this is a this is a. I don't understand. I don't, un- I do not understand people's thinking about that. Like, to me, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, a rising tide ri- rises all boats. Always been true. Pay, pay your lowest workers more money. They're not gonna. They're they're not going out and shooting up heroin on the street corner all night. You don't see. They're not going out and getting hammered. They're not going out and buying darts. They're not. They're going out and buying their kids' clothes. Yeah. They're and going out. They're bringing loyalty to the job. Yeah. Right now, everyone's like, "Well, no one will take these jobs." Well, you know what? And in a lot of cases, people are just like, "I don't want to go do that job for how you're going to treat me now." And people go, well, that's not right. And they may be true in some of it. But th- the bottom line here is that 
you you it's been taken for granted for so long. Yeah. And people have now reached the point of being so broke and so put down and so pissed off. They're like, you know what? It cost me this much money to put my kid in daycare to come and do this for a job where you you won't even guarantee me 40 hours a week. Very, very... <laughs> I'm really ranting today. Very, very few good things came out of the pandemic. The one great thing that came out of the pandemic was it empowered so many yes. very poor people Thank to stand you. up and go, fuck you. Yeah. You have been bullshitting me. You've been lying to me. You got richer. Yep. You made more money. Oh, by the you way, did, continue right now to yeah. get richer. Continue to get richer, and we get less. Yeah. You know, it's like when the college, so in Durham region, we just had a strike at the at Durham College and the university for support workers. And people are like, they shouldn't be striking. What are they going to do? You know, they can't afford to give them wages. And it's like, wait, they just paid all of our MPs in Ontario a 16% raise this year, and they're, they're going to give them a 2% raise? How does that... That two percent doesn't even cover even it. Yeah. It gets some seven, minus seven percent. Did you hear what they settled? You must have heard what they settled I, for. Yeah, thirty three percent. Yeah, I was cheering. Yeah, I'm like, good for you. That's good the power for of having you. Union behind you right there. Yes, it is. It is the power of having union. But how how does a government? I don't understand how a government looks at them and goes, "You get paid too much money already, but we're going to give ourselves a sixteen percent raise, and you make three times the amount of money they do, and you're only at work for." Four months a year. Exactly. And you know, it's like right now, like I hate how they keep raising these interest rates to fight inflation because this is an oversimplification of it, I will admit. But basically what the theory is here is that they're going to make everything so expensive that you're going to stop buying it and that's going to lower the prices. That's ridiculous. Why? That's ridiculous. You are setting us all up to fail so we can succeed. Well, and the and the, the bigger problem with that, which a lot of people uh, have, that's oversimplification. Well, it is it's it's a very serious oversimplification, but it, it's oversimplification in the most honest terms. Right. You know, I have a real problem when you say when somebody says to me, "Oh my God, we have a nine percent inflation, and we have to raise your interest rates," and then Loblaws comes out the next day and says we had record profits in the last two quarters. My blood boils. And gas companies record record and they're doing more stock buybacks and they're doing more dividend payouts and they're you we Alberta don't have has a surplus now we don't of yeah, gas prices. we we don't have we don't have inflation we have greedy corporate overlords testify they right. want more money and that's all it is and they're putting it on us they're yeah. saying we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna penalize you till you stop consuming yeah and the unfortunate thing is is the the people that make the food aren't getting paid more money I know a lot of food manufacturers, Jeez. and they aren't making more money. Loblaws is killing it. They all, Metro's killing it. They're all killing it. And they're making more profits than they ever have. It's an insane situation we're in. Yeah. And, yes, it's an oversimplification. And, yes, there is so much more out there that causes inflation. But there is nowhere. There's, you cannot, you, there's nobody that's going to convince me that this is not a driving factor. Gasoline and food. Yeah. And there's no reason for it because none of the costs have gone up. Exactly. I, I really have a huge uh, uh, ranty. Beth and I, every morning we read the news, and every morning we lay in bed, and every morning we're like, what is going on with our world? Good news is I may have a solution. Yeah. Okay, ready? Yeah. Because according to this uh, scientific study, they think there's about 3 million shipwrecks on the ocean floor, representing anywhere between 100 and $350 billion. Yeah. 
Which might not be enough, actually. No, <laughs> like, now damn. you think about it. But this, perhaps what we should do is we should all just stop all these government shenanigans and just go look for shipwrecks. Are you with me, Daryl? Yeah, I'm with you. I've done this. Right? I have done this. So I, in my youth, was a crazy, <laughs> crazy avid scuba diver. And I did a ton of shipwreck diving. And I helped search for shipwrecks that were in, great, in the Great Lakes. In the Great, every, think of it this way. Very rarely is a ship ever pulled out of the water. No. So As we're, a matter of fact, the stat is less than 10% of the shipwrecks have been recovered in the world. Yeah. His, the history of the world. But you think, nobody ever thinks about this. What happens to the ships that get old? They get scuttled. In Kingston, there's a ship graveyard where ships are piled on top of each other, like three deep. They're, hu- they're these All these old schooners that they just... Okay, this one's no good anymore. It's leaking all the time. Just drill a hole in the bottom and sink to the bottom of Great Lake Ontario. Do you remember when Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 disappeared? Yes. Looked all over it. They found five shipwrecks. They never found it, but they found five shipwrecks. They weren't yeah. looking for. Yeah, and that's that is so that's a unique I, thing because you, it's really hard to understand unless you know the way radar works underwater on how easy it is to miss a shipwreck. Oh yeah, I know it's very easily. Oh, it's. We used to sh- we used to search for them all the time in, Gr- in Lake Ontario. We found a few and had a lot of fun diving on them before anybody else did and saw things that nobody else did. But you could be going along and you could go over the same spot twenty times and miss the same hundred feet, and that's where the shipwreck sat. And it just doesn't, you know, you could, you you'd sit out there for a whole summer and go, okay, we did the whole thing, and you go out the next summer and you drove do 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 do. What the hell? That's yeah. the ship, son of a. <laughs> years of searching for one yeah. shipwreck. You know, I, I had a friend that searched for years for one shipwreck. They knew where it was, and I mean, he'd go out there. He'd call me up, come on out, Terrell, and we'd go out and we'd sit on his boat and we'd go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for a whole day, and never find anything. And then one day, he just he was off by two degrees, going out to a different shipwrecks, and he ran over it, and he's like, I. He goes, I almost passed out. <laughs> it was like, just, oh my gosh, oh my god, what the hell is this? Wow, yeah. And Crazy. it's really hard to find. So you have all these shipwrecks out in Great Lake, uh, out in the in the world. Yeah. But the most, so the Spanish treasure ships, which were like the Atosha, which they found off the coast of Florida, like most of them sank off the coast of Florida. Yep. The most, the biggest shipwreck that they can think of that has the most gold, silver, diamonds, everything out of the out of where uh, Peru and stuff came from way back the conquistadors, they've never found it. No. And a, they know there's so much of it. Here's a number for you. 79 Spanish treasure galleons have never been found. Yeah. Each. Yeah. They say estimated anywhere from 10 to $60 billion worth yeah. of material. Never been found. They're sitting out there right now mocking us as we speak. So there's plenty of problems with shipwrecks. Um, I don't know how much well, you want to learn about this. This is. This but is. so shipwrecks, in order for them to survive, so they just found a shipwreck. And I'm not sure if they just found it or it's been found in the last couple of years. There's a really a lot of cool things about the Black Sea that those people don't know about. Like, they found houses on the bottom of it. Yes. Because at one time it was above water. Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, they found an old, either, I think it's a Roman galleon. It's the only one they've ever found that's fully intact on the bottom. So, shipwrecks from antiquities are all wooden. Mm -hmm. Right? And in order for wood to survive, it has to have several factors. It can't be shallow Mm -hmm. because the storms destroy it. It can't be warm. Because right. there's a Very lot, cold. there's ox, a lot of oxygen in the water in warm water and parasites. There's parasites in cold water too, but not as many as in warm. No, and there's specific parasites in warm water that you have to worry about. Yeah, exactly. There's a woodworm. I was just going to say the worms. There's a, there's there's the worms a woodworm in yeah. the ocean yep. that will eat 
wood. Yeah. So a lot of these shipwrecks just don't even exist anymore. Yeah. They're just totally gone. And the only way they find them is one day a hurricane comes by and washes some gold coins up on shore. And they're like, where did these come from? Yeah. Oh, the waves have changed. And they yeah. go out and they start looking again. And they'll be looking in the same spot for a decade. Yep. And then suddenly they'll find the keel. Yep. And they'll be like, that wasn't there a month ago. Exactly. And they'll go down and they'll start digging and they'll start finding gold pieces. And that's how that's, that's how they found the Atosha and stuff like that. No better um, camouflage than Mother Nature either. I yeah. They'll take over. You'll just become a hill. Yeah. So you find these, the older the shipwreck, like the, the one of the big, most famous ones was the Marie Rose. Okay. Um, the Marie Rose was uh, Henry VIII's, his massive warship. And it sank. And when it sank, it was in the English Channel. I think English Channel, just outside the river. And when it sank, it got buried in mud very quickly. Half of it got buried in mud. The other half didn't. Right. They were able to pull it up and preserve it. And it's all the cannons are there. All the guns are there. The shoes, wow. the clothing the people wore were there. Incredible. And they also found one like that. At, I think it's, I believe it's Norway. And I can't remember the name of the ship. And a brilliant story for this ship. So they had two people, two engineers building the ship. One was using one ruler. The other one was using the other ruler. And the one ruler was off by an inch. <laughs> So they let it go from dock, and they got like a hundred yards from dock, and it tipped over. Oh! So this it was big. It was one of the biggest warships ever built. Like biggest, right. they pulled it up. They actually, you can go, you can go. And I, I, I'll find it for you and send you yeah, the link. That's cool. But you can go and see this ship. They've spent the last 20, 30 years preserving this ship, trying to get all the salt water out of it and everything else. But it's in perfect condition. It's brilliant. We have shipwrecks. There's a shipwrecks in Hamilton, called the Hamilton and Scourge, and they're War of eighteen twelve shipwrecks. And they were coming across the... Oh, the I've heard of the scourge before. I yeah, so they both sank off Hamilton. And what happened was a sea squall state, which is you get really massive waves. And we get them on Lake Ontario. And, sure. Unless you've been on Lake Ontario on one of these, you just can't understand. Like 18, 20-foot waves on oh, Lake yeah. Ontario is the scariest thing you've ever Absolutely. seen in your life. Go to Brighton. Because they have... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have... Yeah, well, that's... Yeah. That's a big wave area there. You, so anyways, the Hamilton's... I got something to say about Brighton. The Hamilton scourge hit a sea squall, tipped them both over... And they couldn't get back up, and they both sank in very deep water. And they found them, and they're in perfect condition. The cannonballs are still sitting wow. in a in a pyramid on the on the on the deck. Cool the that. scabbards are still in the in the thing. They're incredible. They're just truly they're they're really the heritage in Canada. For that is stunning, yeah, uh, to the point where they actually have a uh, camera on them from shore. Really. And if anybody stops their boat over them, police will be right out. Oh really? Oh yeah, because they're priceless. They're virtual. Heritage site. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. yeah. So. Brighton is really bizarre. Brighton is really neat. Um, they get diamond waves. Yeah. Yeah, have you ever heard? What's a diamond wave? Two different winds from different directions hitting at the same time, oh, and they're devastating the ships. Yes. They're devastating the ships. So you have Brighton, uh, if you don't want to look at, look at a map of Ontario and look at Brighton, and you have this place called the Sandbanks, and there's a current that comes across that and comes out like this. And when it hits the point where they used to rot, launch the Avro arrows, you have wind coming across this way. So you have a current with waves coming this way and wind coming this way, and it makes a mess of them. They just become, they're unnavigable for small boats, but for big boats, it can break their back. And there's three or four ships that we've found off of there that are in pretty perfect condition just off where they shot the Avro arrows out. Yeah. And we, I was lucky enough to be one of the people that was able to go out and actually do the first couple of dives on them. But they sank because of that, and they're in perfect condition. Yeah. The bass are standing straight up on them. They still have their wheels on them. Really, eh? Everything's on the deck. And it's just like you go down, you're like, I can't tell anybody about this ever. 
ever. And the people that d- did get to dive on it, ever one guy got an archaeological license. He was so worried about it. He went out and got an archaeological yeah. license, said nobody else can dive on it, and yeah. stopped. It forced all of us to stop diving. Yeah. And we were like, well, I'm fine with that. Yeah, the, the, the Avro Arrow story is a good one because I was speaking to uh, some of the guys when I was living in Belleville uh, out of Picton. They were doing that. And that was back to the point you were making. The Avro Arrows, these models they shot out there, uh, are very hard to find. Almost but impossible. they basically know where they shot them, but they still can't find them. Like that, that kind of goes back to your point of how difficult it is to find these things. Like yeah. they know trajectories and everything, and they they have still proven difficult to find. Well, and, that, and the, the problem in Ontario is the fact that we have so much iron and stuff in our soil. So you can bring a magnetometer out there and tow it behind a boat, and you pick up magnetic resonance from the bottom, and you go, that looks like a shipwreck. That looks. But we have rocks in the lakes that you go over them, they look like a shipwreck. They do. So you have to dive. And the only way to see them is dive down. So you either have to use an ROV or a human. Right. Sport divers can't go that deep. Right. So uh, the average 99.9% of the people can't ever dive that deep because it's, just, it's, it's beyond their training level. And the 0.1% or 1%, 2%, 3%, even 5%, let us say 8% that can, it's very hard to get them to go out and do that. You're looking at 170, 180, 190-foot dive. It's a long, complicated process to get down there, do the dive safely, and come back up. So to tell somebody, hey, we might have a shipwreck. Well, what else might it be? Yeah. A rock. Yeah. Yeah, come back and see me when you found the ship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's right? too much on the line. So you have these Avro arrows that are basically flat. Yeah. They're big wings. They're, they're model airplanes. Yeah. They're about six feet long. And they're gray. Yep. And guess what color the bottom of the lake is? Yep. <laughs> gray. <laughs> so you send an ROV down there to take video of something, and what do you see? A gray rock. Exactly. <laughs> and it could have been an Avarero. And they did find some of it. Yeah, they, f- they found two of them, I yeah. believe. So the Navy came out and did a whole search pattern. Jeez, uh, probably 10, 14, some 14 years ago. And they found these two shipwrecks, and they phoned friends of ours and said, you guys got to come out and see these shipwrecks because our Navy divers, these are this is not something they want to do. So we went out. And this is before they were really doing mixed gas, but they're in 170 feet. 180 feet and a buddy of mine and I went down and did the dive and we were we all did them and we were doing deco in the middle of the lake there was nothing to see and you were doing an hour two hours three hours of deco down there and it's a hard dive deepest you've dived hmm? what's the deepest you've dived okay so before I tell everybody how deep I've dove you have to understand this is way back before diving was more of an adventure than it was necessarily a science in a lot of ways Right now, people dive with mixed gas, and I know a lot of people that have just started diving, and they hear how much how deep I dove to, and they go, you're insane. You're going to kill yourself. And it's like, well, that's just what we did. So my deepest I've dove on straight air is 222 feet. I have friends that have dove below 400 feet. At 300 feet, you're Goodness. supposed to die. Yeah. I, there's a lot of physiology stuff in there that happens. I only did that dive once, and I did that dive in the St. Lawrence River. It was a fun dive. Would I do it again? Now? Not a chance. I'd get mixed gas and stuff. But the vast majority of my last few hundred dives were all deeper than 150 feet and shallower than 200 feet. But that's what you that's what we were doing, and we enjoyed it. I have a lot of dives in. I was very good at what I did, and so were the people I dove with, my partners and stuff like that. And we trusted each other, and we just know a lot more about the science now of what we should be doing. So now you can always say you're deep, though. Yeah. Look at me, I'm deep, man. Yeah, I've been, I've, yeah, I've been deep, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good diver, but I have a lot of friends that are so 
much better than I am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the 400 feet deep ones there, man. Oh, I have guys that, I, there's guys that I know that have like record world records in cave diving. Um, friends of mine that did side mount cave diving, which is a totally different story. And it's, it's, I've done it. I enjoy it. But these guys were, even when they taught, they were the ones that actually convinced me to get into diving. Uh, to get into cave diving it was just it was just something i was not interested in and they're like look at the pictures look at the videos and i'm like ugh, sign me up oh my god it was so much fun it was the best time of my life it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it kept me from spiraling out of control quick enough so that i could get myself back under control but people look at me and go what do you mean it's the best thing what about your kids my kids would never have happened if i didn't dive because i taught my wife how to scuba dive before we were married that's how i met her you really are deep yeah. Look at you. I know. Guy. Nickname's been formed. Yeah. <laughs> it's been good talking to you again. Good. Yeah. Good right. seeing you. Good being here. Good catching up. Yeah. We're going to get back into the regular of this as we go through the fall season. Yep. We'll do more and more, figure stuff out. We're going to probably do some uh, more remote stuff too, where I'm at home and he's at yeah. home and yeah. we have video. We, you know, people like to see video. We are, we are slowly going to figure out our technological abilities. Yep. And expand our horizons accordingly. Yes, absolutely. Right on. Look forward to it. See you next week. Absolutely. Good tech. Thanks for having me over, Chris.